Hello, it's Denise from Women Beyond a Certain Age. Well, what a morning we've had here. We've had. <laughs> well, let's start at the beginning. Our guest today is George Geary. If you don't know George, you're not paying attention because George is a busy, busy chef, cookbook author, pastry expert, food historian. But let me tell you, it's taken me a year for it to catch George in his busy schedule to come on today. We were all planned for it and we hit technical difficulties and something that we couldn't solve, but then George solved it himself by reloading his Zoom app. So how's that for an intro, George? Welcome. <laughs> Thank you so much. I guess you can add uh, technical uh, advisor to that or something. Now we're going to say that, you know, you're the Steve Jobs of... Oh, of no. <laughs> I'm thrilled, George. And I I'm I was determined with... All, the reason I wanted it to be today was because I know how busy you are. And it's hard to catch you in your schedule. And also, the... The other problem with that is Cindy and I are lazy and we don't do this all we don't do this all as often. So between you being busy and us being lazy, that's it's hard to find a day. There you go. Now, let me tell people a little bit, but then I want you to talk about yourself. I've known George, I think we've known each other about 30 years, haven't we, George? I was oh. trying to remember. I think it could be 30 years. At least. At, At least, least more. All I know is we were both young <laughs> and <But dumb. laughs> young and innocent. Let's put it that way. So George and I, I remember when we met, though, I think, George, we met through the Southern California Culinary Guild before IACP. Now, this is really ancient history. Were you in the guild? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh because I used to make fun of the guild because people say, what do you do? I said, we wrap, we roll and wrap bandages for the wars as they break out because it was such an, a group of lovely, really old fuddy-duddy women, if you remember correctly. Thank you. Um, yeah. Because <laughs> I was in IECP even before the guild. Okay, I think I was too, but I, I got more active in IECP in about 1992, 92 uh. or 93. Yeah, I was I was in the eighties. I was eighty seven. Was my first. Uh, oh, okay. Well, the then you yes, but anyway, that's how George and I have known each other. George and I also shared the same agent for a while in our book careers. Uh, that we also we shared publishers, and we were both in the very prestigious, now defunct, food and wine culinary art program on Holland America Lines. Yeah, well, we've, we, uh, our careers have paralleled a lot. A lot, a lot. Because you George. went to the California Culinary. Yes. I've been there. And, um, and we both are in Southern California and we've worked in television at the same places. Yes, we have. Um, you know what, <laughs> we should have teamed up. I know. I know. <laughs> we probably would. I don't know, George. I don't know. We wouldn't have gotten any work done. <laughs> I don't know. Let me say this. We have had very similar careers, which I think, which is why it's interesting to people. And I want you to share some of that with people, because 
I will say this, George, and I like it. Part of what happens with women beyond, and we're not excluding men because we have lots of male viewers and we're thrilled, listeners, food careers are similar. You know what I mean? From freelancing and trying to accomplish a lot. Of course, you you teach cooking classes and write cookbooks. And then you teach cooking classes again to sell the cookbooks. Do you know what I mean? I mean, there's a, there's a pro- progression here that we all have kind of had to adapt. Now, oh, yeah. answer me, you know, that's, I, this is what I want to tell people. Did you go to the CCA? Yeah. Or you did. I didn't know that. Did you, yeah. were you in their bakery and pastry class? Bakery. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. But where did you really, and if people don't know this, George, so this is what I want people to know. How did you get into food? <laughs> well, everyone says it's in your blood. My grandfather was the executive chef for uh, Bugsy in uh, Las Vegas. Wow. And he opened up the Flamingo Hotel back when he owned it my god i i really didn't know him because he was uh oh not around when i was a kid he was uh drinking too much and uh uh things like that you know um, yeah and i remember my mom would tell me stories he had little restaurants here and there and uh uh he did this uh thing where if he got mad he'd take his whole crew with him leave everybody so all of his executive chefs and everything and they would leave and he did that quite often i understand (laughs) and um uh researching the man um i i love doing a lot of research and i find all sorts of things out about him he passed away back in the 70s but i never saw him cook and i never ate anything he made so um i think they say it's in your blood but my dad was a CPA and like lawyers and doctors and CPAs, I think it's the most boring job on <laughs> earth. And I, I said, you know, I remember when I was in high school or even younger, I said, I wanted to be a pastry chef. And my mom and my dad was like, you're too smart to do that. You could be a doctor, or a lawyer. I yeah. said, you're right. That's why I am too smart. I'm going to do that. <laughs> Cause I thought, what, what is great to do? besides pastry you know everyone likes shock yes. if they don't you don't trust them um there's all sorts of uh positive with food versus well, okay people get gain weight that's about the most negative <laughs> but like i was thinking the other day you know my sister is going for a job at a mortuary this week and i thought how depressing who okay. wants to work at a mortuary except I, now, just a doggone minute, and I I will find you, sister. I've always, I've thought of painting people's faces, being a makeup artist at the yeah. mortuary. And I know somebody that does that. Well, that's you, just, it yeah. would just be an extension of my food studying career. <laughs> well, you're absolutely right. You'd use tweezers and get the little hair in your nose. Things like that. A little putty, a little paste, a little makeup. But, yeah, you really could, but... I was thinking, um, think of a pastry chef. We do wedding cakes. We really don't do divorce cakes. And we do birthday cakes. We don't do death cakes very often, you know. Um, You do a lot more of the money. And you don't need to learn how to spell except congratulations and birthday. 
Those are your only words because everything else is written on the form. You know the name. I do think where you're going to, and I get this, pastries are an uplifting experience. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. They're they're fun. Even you can be in a crappy mood, but if you go into a donut shop and look at all those beautiful colored donuts in about 10 minutes, you're in a good mood. And then you buy one and you take it out to your car and you eat it. And yeah. you think that was a lovely treat. So pastries to me are, they're a treat. Do you yeah. know what I mean? It's not. Yeah, absolutely. So that's kind of where my beginnings started. You know, I went to the very first culinary school I went to was LA Trade Tech. Oh, excellent school. And um, I, I, I didn't realize what I was getting into. I had gone to a high school that was all Asian. And I was uh, the only white kid out of, you know, the, the I was one out of, of 10, you, know, you could say. Um, and then I go into LA Trade Tech and I am the only white kid again, but I've got mostly Hispanic and black. Which Absolutely. I really learned so much with different cultures back then. Which good was for you. I can pronounce Japanese names very well. And uh, good for you. And when I went to culinary school, it was just a whole bunch of white boys. <laughs> well, there you go. And then I went yeah. to San Francisco, yeah. and that's where yeah. you know yeah, I got that. Um, and then I went to, over to um, uh, where, oh, I took a bunch of different extra classes over at UCLA. Not just culinary, but writing and English classes, too. Yes. So. I mean, that, the extension program at UCLA if that's what you were talking about. I yeah. taught it for years. It was one of the most, I mean, in all of them, they had a writing program that was gifted. They had a culinary arts program that they they didn't know what to do with most of those things. But, you know, it's one of the most successful extension programs in the history of extension programs. People, got you got a whole lot for your dollar there. Do you know what I mean? And, oh, yeah. I and there were some crazy classes that were nothing to do with food. But like yeah. there was one class, I still think of it. It was putting together a strip mall. I wow. Have, yeah. You need to have a liquor store, uh, you know, and it was going on and on about the type of strip malls and classes. And I thought, well, reading the curriculum, fascinating. I didn't take the class, but I thought it fascinating. And well, but that's what... You know, when you say that, do you know that the catalog that we all used to get from the extension program went out to 250,000 people every mm -hmm. quarter? And then they still and then they got, went online. But it just it hits such a huge section of people in Los Angeles. Do you know what I mean? And of course, strip malls was a big is a big deal. I understand that. Yeah, but it, it was fascinating. Some of the class I um I remember one class I took um, was <laughs> over at Trump's. <laughs> Sorry, not him, but Trump's, the pastry and cooking place, uh, Michael Roberts' old restaurant. And I he, loved Michael Roberts and I loved Trump's. He was teaching a class um, uh, on chocolate making. And while I was there, I had never really met him at that point. And then we became pretty good friends. And uh I threw together a pastry bag out of, you know, a paper cornet, a cone. And he looked at me and he said, you've done this before. And I had mostly Beverly Hills, Bel Air housewives that had nothing. I mean, the same ones they did the television shows about. And they had never even seen chocolate in a liquid form, you know. And I said, oh, just a few times. And then he got to realize 
my type of background and uh, I was offered a job there too, but I was busy working at the studios. Okay. I got, I met Michael Roberts. I was so sorry he passed away so young. He was such a lovely man. And I got to work with him because I got hired by a, what was it called? AIWF American Institute of Wine something. Food and and wine. They, remember them, food and wine. Julia was involved. Yeah. And that's how I got involved. And it was always, they were always trying to, how do I want to say this? We'll make some money. They were always trying to make some money. So they were pimping out chefs to go speak to other food groups. Do you know what I mean? I mean, they were they weren't trying to make a fortune. They were just trying to cover their costs. And that's how I met Michael Roberts. And he was the loveliest man. And we did a couple of events together where I assisted him. He was doing demos. And but this was my favorite. He'd had a couple of glasses of wine at lunch. And we're doing the demo and they were dietitians. And he was showing after lunch how to make peanut chocolate chunk cookies, delicious. And a woman raised her hand and said, can I make these without peanut butter? <laughs> and I thought he was going to jump off that podium. And he went, <laughs> I thought it was, he kept saying, that's not the integrity of a peanut butter cookie. And anyway, it was pretty funny. And later on, when I got home, he called me, he goes, will they ever hire me again? I said, mm, not so sure about that. <laughs> but he was a lovely man. Oh, yeah, George. No, I think people and a lot of the people that listen to us um, have been in food. But also, I don't know how many of them realize how many schools we, you know what I mean? I mean, I still go to a cooking school when I'm traveling. I love to go to a cooking school in a foreign country. I learn something every time. Sometimes yeah. I learn, sometimes I learn that I know more than I thought I did, or sometimes I learn, you know what I mean? But I love it. It's my the favorite. Herbs. Yeah. The, the last foreign cooking school I went to was in uh, Spain, real close to the markets there. And we went shopping that morning and then we came up and did the class and I'd never in my life things, you know, stupid things that everyone you think, you know, everything, but our brains aren't that big. And uh, <laughs> one, it was taking those little tiny, tiny um, potatoes that you get at Melissa's, you know, in yes. the back, and deep frying them, <gasps> nothing but deep frying the potatoes and cooking them that way. And I thought, wow. Never that sounds, of that that you know, sounds delicious. Stupid little things like that. I never thought of it. I thought, well, that was interesting, you know. But you're right. When you take a cooking class somewhere or because uh, uh, you get tired of uh, people in your classes asking, do you have I, to have peanut butter in that peanut butter cookie? And uh, the first question I always would get was, uh, can I? And the next word's going to be substitute. I know it. I, I know you're right. Now yes. answer me this. Tell everybody. So you're you're taking classes, and then you get a big fat job at Disney. Is that correct? How did you get that job at Disney? No, we back up. Before, oh, please back up. Yeah, before Disney, I was um working at uh, Safeway Grocery Store. I was a manager of three of their in-store bakeries. Ah. Oh. And West Hollywood, Hollywood, and uh, Hollywood, two Hollywoods, one on uh, Sunset, one on Santa Monica, and the other one was uh, Vine and uh, Melrose. And um, I was there, and that is in the middle of all the studios. Absolutely. 
KECT over on one side. This is about 1981, maybe 80. Oh, okay. And um, I kept having the prop departments over at Paramount come in because that was the largest large studio. A lot of people don't realize you drive around Hollywood, you see Paramount, you see Warner Brothers over in the Valley, um, things like that. But you see there's little tiny studios in between all those four or five stages. Um, Sunset Gower is one of them. That's one of my favorites. I used to love Sunset Gower. And uh, and then the one that KCET is over at, um, over on Sunset. And so um, all these prop people kept coming in for the weirdest stuff. Asking uh -huh. me. First they'd say, I have $100. Can you make 10 sandwiches? I was like, yeah, all right. So then after a while, Paramount said, well, why don't you come over here and work? So that's how I started working over in the, the studios. And the first show I worked on was It's a Living with Ann Julian. I love that show. That that was a restaurant food show. And then we switched. And then there was a show called Brothers that was the first cable type show at the time with um, a gay character. Okay. And oh, yes, yes, of course. It was Sally a bar scene. And that was done over at Paramount. And then they, I switched to uh, Falcon Crest and the Colbys. Yeah. Dynasty. I remember the Colbys. Our, uh, the, the oven I had over at Paramount wasn't big enough for a duck. And they wanted a duck a la Raj. I'd never cooked a damn duck a la Raj. And I thought, okay. It, and I would ask on the sheet for the prop department would say, edible or non-edible, tape or film because you'd have to do different yes. colorization for lighting. And um, so if it didn't have to be edible, you know, and I know that chicken's not cooked. You That's know? right. But if it has to be edible, oh, shoot. <laughs> Damn. So they now, do it differently. Did they make you join the union for that? Uh, I'm in SAG and AFTRA, yeah. The, oh. the unions I'm in. But did you join them to work on those shows? No. 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 No, wait, I was in SAG first. No, I was in AFTRA first, and then I was in SAG after. Okay. I got into SAG because of a Coca-Cola commercial. That That's I, what I remember. I yeah. remember did that. Yeah, the Coca-Cola commercial. But um, so I get this duck on Larage, and they said, well, could you do it? And I said, and first it was going to be unedible. I thought, okay, good. We can paint it, and we can do orange slices, you know, and it'll look yeah. pretty. Yeah. They'll hide a, a world of sins underneath those orange slices. And then they said, oh, it's got to be edible. I never made a duck. So I did. I had to go home and make it at my parents' house. <laughs> my dad is like, what is the smell? Because <laughs> I've never had duck a l'orange ever. And I said, and my dad said, do you ever know how to say the word no, that you don't know how to do it? And I said, no, that's not my vocabulary. I will learn how to do something and figure it out. It might take a while. So that's kind of how um, the food prop started on me. Um, the I got a call in uh, uh, 39 years ago, a couple months ago, and uh, that's how long ago this happened. And the guy comes in and he says, we have $200 for a wedding cake. And I said, oh, you're cute. Because <laughs> you asked me to do some strange things. I said, all right, so I can do it. He goes... It's for 
uh, tape. So the coloring has to be different. He was surprised that I knew about the coloring and the lighting. And the wedding cake had to be an off yellow because of the lights would bounce off the pure white and would make yeah. it look really bad. I said, okay. And it has to be three tiers, pretty traditional looking. Only a piece of it has to be edible. So I did styrofoam except for the bottom piece, uh, half of it. And he didn't tell me what it was for. And I thought, well, okay. So I do it. And we speed up four or five months because it was during pilot season. And I said, he came back, he goes, can you do that wedding cake again? But we have $500 this time. <laughs> well, 500 from 100 to 500. And I said, well, what is it? He goes, well, the show got picked up. And I said, I don't know what the, the wedding cake looks like. Can you give me a, a picture of it? Yeah. So he gave me the tape of these four old ladies. Oh. And I thought, huh it's pretty funny but shoot okay i'll do the uh, wedding cake and it was the beginning of golden girls so i did all the food on that show from uh every single cheesecake to every single uh, the mom would be making pasta sauce and it was ragu but yeah. if they eat it that's what was weird the one thing they said i need about 40 bacon lettuce and potato sandwiches and i went what are you talking about? Potato? I've never heard of that. And they said, just they're gotta be unedible, but a very thin slice. So I used my Madeline and, and did a, a thin slice of potato because it was a joke that they didn't have any tomatoes. So it was part of the 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 show. So Rose and um Blanche went out to uh, a bunch of um uh, work sites and sold bacon lettuce and potato sandwiches but they said it fast enough to where the guys thought they said tomato funny and it, it was part of the thing so that was a show we started on sunset gower and then we moved to ren mar that was another studio that uh and that was around the corner from uh uh the paramount so that's where uh, the the reason why i can remember 39 years ago because next no, 38 years ago, because uh, in a couple years is their 40th anniversary of the beginning of that show. I never, I watched the show only being done twice on because it was Friday night. And, you know, gotcha. I'm in my 20s and I'm going to Hollywood to have fun. I'm of not course. going to of course. Old, old ladies in their 40s and 50s. <laughs> so, from Disney hit. is that how you got to Disney then from? No, I... Uh, I was getting tired of food prop stuff. Yeah. I've done so much of it. And um, there wasn't a lot of food in television at that point. It was, you know, it would go up and yeah. down, up and down. And uh, there weren't food segments in the morning except Good Morning L LA AM Los Angeles. Yes. Philbin. And um, they all had their own food person normally in a lot of those. I worked all those shows. Yeah. I worked all those shows. And then I switched. Uh, I thought, uh, and I was living in Orange County. Oh, makes a big difference. Yeah, I forgot a job I had for five months before Disney. I was working at Biola University, part of Marriott Hotels. Oh, they had the, okay. the food service there. And I, I had three people in the pastry kitchen and I, I was still doing a little bit of food prop. At, at, and, you know, like you and I, we have five jobs at once, you know, we're, you have, to. Yeah. you have to pay your rent. 
And so I, I was working at Biola and it was going to be, um, oh, what do you call it, uh, uh, summer. And they said, we aren't having session this summer. So um, we'll bring you back in September. We're going to lay you off for three months or give you probably a couple hours a week. Well, it ended up that they went ahead and had, because it's a religious college. And so they would have these religious study classes. So they kept me for about 20 hours a week, but I still need some more. I sure. thought, where would be an Orange County fun to work? And I thought Disneyland would be fun. So I went in with my application and my resume. And I said, I can't get here until noon every day. Well, they said, oh, we need you in the pastry kitchen before noon. So you'll have to work. I had to work these barbecue areas. Oh, I smelled like hickory smoke after the first week. Then they send me to, I get this note saying, oh, you're going to be sent to being a bus boy. Oh. I was not going to be a bus boy. I'd been a waiter in high-end restaurants. I was not going to be a bus boy. So I called in sick. And I thought, I'm not going to come back to this Disneyland place. It was fun, but not that fun. I'd only worked there about two months at that point. Plus, Biola, I was working 20 hours. So I thought, I'm not going to give up. I'll go in with my resume to my supervisor. So I went into her, Anne was her name. And I said, you know, here's my resume. I wanted to be in the pastry kitchen. They said no, because I can't be here till noon. She didn't answer me. She said, come here. She marched me into the pastry kitchen, which I had never seen. because, And she said, you can have any hours you want. Oh. Wow. Okay. So I worked the rest of the season there. Biola for two. Uh, so I was working 50, 60 hours a week. Yeah, of course you and were. Then they said, um, we'd like to give you the pastry position here. And I thought I was only going to be the season and that's it. And I stayed there 10 years. And Amazing. a lot of foods out there for them. So, now, so is that how, as we get into cookbooks what was the first cookbook you wrote george 125 best cheesecake recipes okay that's what i was waiting for and the reason why oh and people say how do you know it's 125 best i said i give my publisher 126 and he kicks one out <laughs> and they think it's funny and they think but what it was was um that originally was i wanted the book to be called America's cheesecakes. And in my mind, it was going to be a hundred recipes, two from every state, like California, oh, the Golden State. Um, you know, yeah. peach for uh Georgia. Atlanta, Georgia, that type of thing. And um, I still I have my rejection letters from that book, and that was in two two thousand. So 23 years ago, I hold a grudge. <laughs> and Every year at the conventions that I go to, if I see the publisher that said no, I let them know how many printings we've had in that book I, and how I, many print, uh, books after. Sweetheart, we all have our rejection letters. We all have the stories of someone who looked us right in the face and said, you're never going to get there or mm -hmm. you don't talent at this and the good news is is if you either one you can snub them like you still do at book fairs or something or you can go to the grave site if they've died and you can dance on their grave because i 
have oh. several people. I'm waiting for the obits to come out so that I can put on my dancing shoes. Oh, yeah. Now, I, yeah. The, we have your cheesecake. I have your cheesecake cookbook if people, and I know it's had many, many. So that's as a tip, George, which you just gave us. One, you had an idea for a book, but it morphed into something even bigger, meaning 125 recipes, which yeah. happens all the time with publishers because they're never happy with what you offer them. They always want more. And then two, that book continues to sell. That's well, amazing. Yeah, I, uh, back to the publishers. I was just going to look because I did. I do have my file very close to me. <laughs> 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 oh, I wanted to look up who it was. It said, um, uh, "Okay, well, some is it somebody?" And I love how these people. I've never met them, and they say, "Oh, we love George. Thank you for the, you know." Yeah. Don't see okay, this is one from Simon is Simon and Schuster. Uh, March 16, 2001. Thanks for showing me classic Cheesecakes of America. It's very solid, but I don't see it having a long life on our list. I have probably <laughs> sold close to uh, a half a million cheesecake books. I understand. One, two, three, four books of cheesecake. The Cheesecake Bible that came out afterwards, after 125 Best, it was uh, changed to uh, four different languages. That's amazing. And then um, something that I haven't told a lot of people, some people do know, in 2025, I've got um, a new book coming out with uh, Chronicle, and it'll be a oh. cheesecake book all about the Golden Girls. Excellent. So. Very nice. So I'm like... Uh, Simon and Schuster, look where you could have been. Uh -huh. And my favorite was somebody saying, I want you to close that folder and stop. <laughs> I just, yeah, I, uh, but the funny one I thought was, I can't stand cheesecake and nobody in my office likes cheesecake. So I'm sure it won't sell. Oh, okay. I, I know. I got one or two of those two. I got one or two that said, anyway, I got one or two of those two. And of course, then when we had passed the 30 or 40,000 copy of that book into the second printing, I wanted to call them and say, hey, you were wrong. But I, I decided not to. Yeah. Again, I'm saving for dancing on the graves. Now, but so your tips right now that you just said is one, you had a great idea. You were able to let the idea morph into something else, you know, a, a variation. And two, you've done re-edits re if people, um, you've updated those books and they continue to sell. See, people, sometimes when people's, you know this, George, from, I say this to people all the time on Facebook. They had a book, they sold 10,000 copies, which is nothing to sneeze at. I mean, it was great. Then the publisher says, I'm not interested, we're not interested in this book anymore. And of course, publishing has changed so greatly in the past because there's no, or at least they tell us they don't have any money anymore. So with that said, and some of that's true, um, I always say to someone, I say to them, get the rights back for your book from whoever you are and do it again. If you have to publish it yourself, if you have to, you know, um, uh, publish it yourself, 
pay for that. And there people are shocked and they just don't realize it. Do you know what I mean? That there's yeah. other opportunities for them in publishing. Yeah. They have to just be creative. Yeah. Now, and speaking of that, so this is what I want to talk about in this. And George is coming back to have another podcast with us. So when we put it up, one of my favorite books, I'll, I have several of your books, George, because you've been generous and sent them to me. Sometimes your publisher sends them to me. But LA's Legendary Restaurants, okay? This is one of my favorite books of yours. And the reason is, is that it's called LA's Legendary Restaurants, celebrating the famous places where Hollywood ate, drank, and played. And on the front cover is the Brown Derby. Um, George, and when did you, what gave you that idea? And what did it take to get it published? <laughs> no, because I it's a lot. It was yeah. a lot of research. That was book number 12 or 13. Okay. My books. So everybody thinks, oh, you have uh, so many books out that it's real easy to get published. Not at all. <laughs> it's just as hard. And mostly when this book went to a different direction, it was a historical book versus a cookbook. Yes. There was that problem. Uh, the reason why I did that book, and I've done a number of books like that since, was um, my love of history. Not necessarily food history, but I go to Europe a couple times a year and like you do and you walk down the street in europe and you see these plaques that have who lived there what happened there all the things like that and here in america we have some plaques but not all over the place like that except i was just in savannah georgia and i think every other block has five plaques which is well nice. they've gotten smart because of their tourism i love savannah and they should have all those plaques yeah. you want to know <laughs> what happened in these places and you go wow you know yeah and so I, uh, the LA Legendary Restaurant book, um, I went with a publisher. There's only a few that would do California history like that. I was, another great tip. If people want to get a book published, you really need to know. You have to like do your research and yeah. find out what their book list is like and if they're at all interested. Do you know Something what I mean? Or, or, you know, you don't go to a book publisher that, and you don't go to the big ones, you know, and, and, oh, let's back up. I don't have an agent. I haven't had a, a book agent for, what year was that? that I, I don't remember, remember, but you and I, we both <laughs> yeah. changed agents, as we say, at the same time. And I did something even smarter. And I'm sure agents hate me for this because I've gotten uh, even like Rose Levy Berenbaum doesn't have an agent anymore. She I mean, uses my literary lawyer is what I use. Got it. Yes. Oh, honey, my the world again. I just think that shows again a change in publishing. Yeah. When you and I first started, if you didn't have an agent, publishers wouldn't even look at your, your proposal or and now. And this is all, and agents, I, this is all about blogs and influencers, eyes on the book. People, 
what do they need an agent for if they've already been publishing their blog? Do you know what I mean? Or already have a following. So agents, you don't have to have an agent. And that's a great tip. And you say you have a literary lawyer, lawyer that reads the contract for you. Yep. And and really, they read the contract, help me with certain parts of it. And yeah. it probably is a tenth the amount the agent's going to take when they... Uh, sign your you for your book and gotcha. really, the agent's not gonna get any more money for you i don't think you know what I, just as high I, I agree all i know is i've negotiated deals my whole life and sometimes when it, an agent would bring me the money i'd say you're kidding no <laughs> that's mm -hmm. not signing a contract for that and i increasingly increasingly decided that i could just negotiate most most deals by myself like you yeah and There's it just and, yeah. and let's face it i i had uh, a problem with contracts afterwards i looked where my agent should have known things and didn't like does it revert back to me after that. X amount of time not having a book being published. Um, I've got a couple titles that there's none you can buy Get it. whatsoever. But let's say that book that you just talked about, the LA Legendary Restaurant book, if it is out of print and what out of print in the world of publishing means you can't purchase it for sale, a new book on Amazon. Okay. If you got can't it. for six months, it's out of print. Got it. So my contracts with him state that if it goes out of print for six months, it, it reverts to me 100%. Absolutely. Which Honey, I don't have to try to buy it from him or, or negotiate. It comes right back to me. Wonderful. So it, it works a lot better. So what happened was with the historical book is I, um, I've been a member of the LA Conservancy, which... Uh, Kind of, we don't strap ourselves to the buildings, but we work to keep history alive. Right, and we have a lot of buildings in LA that you could say we changed the purpose of them. If you go up and down the five freeway, there's the outlet mall that used to be a tire place back in the day, a a, a beautiful facade. So they kind of repurpose. And when I was looking at some of these restaurants that. I've heard of, but they aren't around anymore. I thought, I want to hear more history myself of how they became. Because uh, I did an apprenticeship at Mommy's Own Restaurant, and it's been gone for years and years and years. And I want to know more history. And I know people that still have wor had worked there. And I had met there, um, like Cecile DeCastro. She yeah. worked there when I was there. And um, so I started putting together a book package of 50 locations and I shopped it around I got the first publisher said yes and then they dropped me halfway through the process which that happens that happens it's happened yeah. to me so I went with um, another publisher I I, I you know you, you you get depressed when this happens and you think okay forget it nope I've got I've spent all this time and money in doing what I've the done research. we're gonna keep going so I went ahead and uh, went with this uh, publisher, uh, Santa Monica Press, that's <laughs> out of San Diego, called Santa Monica Press. And um, I've done three books with him now. And 
uh, I, uh, the recipes, people will say, how did you get these recipes? Well, most of them came from sources. Uh, yeah. They had a cookbook they gave me. If the restaurant is defunct, um, the Brown Derby's defunct, but I have an old 1940 cookbook from the Brown Derby, you know, and what's interesting is uh, these restaurants, they use the strangest ingredients back in the day, a lot of celery salt. Yes. Uh, and MSG. My but, mother used celery salt. Yeah. So I would test it with all this exactly how it, they wrote it. And then I would change it to today's standard. There was a lot of, I have a paprika chicken recipe in the, the, the book. And I think they use two quarts of, heavy cream i don't know how these stars ate that way and had to drink martini lunches and smoke like fish and then go uh or drink like fish and smoke like chimneys and go off to work the next morning but um that's how it started and what's fascinating i think is looking at that book my span of work enlarged to where all these historical groups are having me come and talk all these crazy groups I've never heard of if you have an opportunity for people that live here or you know george you have to go to george's website because he puts his schedule up i have gone to hear george speak on this book it was that funny little museum across from the hollywood bowl george remember oh, i came yeah. and it was on that my birthday and nobody it, knew it. <laughs> it was a wonderful presentation, but for people that I love that you've been able to mix architecture and history and food all together. Yeah. When people were going to anyway look for this book, LA's legendary restaurants. All your books are on um, Amazon, aren't they, George? Of course. Of course. <laughs> and I know we all want to go to our small bookstores, and please do. And they're around in Pasadena, George, and the Hollywood bookstores. But sometimes people just want to go to Amazon because it's easy. Yeah. Um, I won't hate. I don't hate people to go to Amazon since I go to Amazon a lot. Now, one other thing I want to say. When Perino's, see, I went to Perino's in its heyday. I was a child. Seriously, I was 12, maybe, well, in the 60s. My parents had best friends that had moved to L.A. So we came down and we got, to, they got us reservations at Perino's. And I, at that moment, or whenever, it was the one that was on the newer one on Wilshire Boulevard. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Had the pale silk, the pale pink and silk boots. Yeah. And the maitre d', of course, this is a different world. They gave me a cocktail. I was like 13 or 14, but my they said, "Can would your daughter like a drink? And my father said, sure, she can have a You know, no one stopped you in those days. But I just remember that gorgeous dining room because fast forward, talk about prop food, in 1986, I got a prop man that called and they were shooting a movie. Uh, no, the restaurant had closed by then. It was after 86. It was more like 88 or 89, because then by then I was really food styling a lot. And honey, I got to do one of the last movies that was filmed in the Prino dining room because they were just using it then for a location. Yeah. 
and it was still beautiful. Yeah, they a worse for wear, but that was a beautiful dining room. It was a perfect dining room for filming, also because yeah. the coloring in that room. I mention it in the book. The light pinks that you said and the light greens bounced off the walls, the lighting perfectly, and they could roll the cameras in really easy. the The biggest mommy dearest was filmed there. Yes, in a way. And uh, she always talked about Perino's being her place. And uh, now if you go, that's what I do in that book is I I give you the address of where Perino's was and what's there today. And it's very depressing. It's a, um, they took the sign down, they took the marquee down and they incorporated it into a supposedly high-end apartment complex. It's called the Perino Mar Arms. Yeah. And I, I think it's hilarious when I when I hear, oh, it's they're going to redo it and put it into that. So that was one. Uh, the Ambassador Hotel across the street was another one that they filmed over 200 films after they closed that den. I worked in a TV, several TV movies at the Ambassador Hotel and a party. They also rented it out to um, A&M yeah. If you remember AM. But the part about the ambassador and all and also at Perino's, and I know you know this, but I'm saying it for the our listeners, George, the kitchens, they had kosher kitchens. Yeah. They had separate kitchens. They had, I mean, everything was separate. The amount of equipment that was at the Ambassador Hotel, but of course it was also where everybody went for their 500 people bar mitzvahs. Do you know what I oh, mean? Yeah. yeah. It was so yeah. much fun to work. They were ghosts by then. To me, they were like ghosts of what they were. But it was still lovely to work there. Yeah. The only hotel that's similar to that that I can think of that can still do 500 um, kosher and not kosher is the Biltmore out in Arizona. Gotcha. They do both uh, kosher and non-kosher events like crazy. And there's one I worked with uh, the girls from... Um, um, the two hot Somali girls um, yeah. out in uh, Santa Monica, we've done at one hotel, maybe it's the Lowe's that has a large probably that too. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. All right. Now, listeners, when this broadcast, Cindy puts up all George's information. I want people, you should go to his website. Uh, he has his books. He has his schedule. And George, are your videos that you did during COVID, are they still up? We didn't even talk about, oh, that was fun. <laughs> we'll, talk about, we'll talk about that in the next one. Those but are we, all on YouTube. Yeah. We're, oh, they're on YouTube. Yeah. Perfect. Over so, 200. <laughs> okay. We'll talk about that. No, it was a good use of your time. I had nothing but... Oh, I, yeah. watched, I watched a couple of them and I thought, God bless you, George. As I, I directed a couple... I mean, I, <laughs> I drank my coffee and watched you. I thought, man, that's a lot of work. <laughs> now, I will thank you, George. And I want people to know so that, of course, if they have questions, they need to call to text me. They can text me. They can email me. It's womenbeyond at iCloud.com. But Cindy will put up the particulars. And we may put up a recipe for steak Diane that was from Perino's because, and it was the same thing you said, George, I used to love steak Diane and we redid it and kind of made it today's steak Diane, but we'll, we'll throw that recipe up on the website when you broadcast. And we're going to have, so for any of you, 
we're going to have George come back and talk about one of his latest books, which is called Made in California, which is just too much fun. It's really fun, George. I love both these books, especially since I, like you, I was born here. Do you know what I mean? So I remember, I mean, I'm made in California. Um, I remember when these places started, as do you. Yep, pretty much. So, honey, thank you so much. And we're going to talk to you again. And thank you for your time today. I do know how busy you are. And thank Miss Cindy for always somehow making the technology work out, even when sometimes it's not possible. Though, today, George was his own savior by reloading his Zoom. <laughs> it's always so. Okay, thanks, George. Thanks, Cindy. Women Beyond a Certain Age and Women Beyond at iPad.com. Bye-bye.